of the book of Acts opens with these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all that Jesus begun to do and teach until that day. He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke is not only telling us and reminding us about part one, but he tells us how he thinks of his two-part volume on the origins of Christianity, which represents approximately one quarter of the New Testament. In doing so, he does not regard volume one as the story of Jesus Christ from birth to his sufferings and death and resurrection and ascension, and volume two as the story of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ from its birth in Jerusalem through its sufferings of persecution through its triumphant conquest of Rome some 30 years later. But he draws parallels between the two stages of the ministry of Jesus. In the first book that he has written, he writes all about what Jesus began to do, and in his second he implies that he will carry on writing about the continuing work of Jesus after the ascension through the work of the apostles, through sermons, and author came, and why do I always choose words I can't say? Authenticating signs and wonders, Luke will record. Therefore, endorsing that the personal and public work of Jesus on earth was followed by his ministry from heaven, shown through the Holy Spirit. But it's worth noting that the ascension unites both Luke and Acts. As one begins with it, the other one ends. But for a moment, let's look briefly at the persecution that I mentioned earlier. Many people have pointed out there is an amazing correspondence between the 1st and 20th century. Back then, Christians lived in a predominantly pagan culture where the vast majority people had no knowledge of God. The earliest Christians were part of the Roman Empire, with its emperor worship, its child sacrifice, its loose morality, and its violent opposition to anyone who claimed to possess the truth about God. It is a historical fact that Christianity began to spread the Roman rulers. They reacted with apathy. Then they responded with curiosity, and finally with outright hostility. You see, the earlier Christians proclaimed a message that Rome could not accept. Jesus is Lord. The Christians used the Greek word curios to describe who Jesus was. The curious is the same word that the emperors used to describe themselves. As Chuck Colson pointed out, in the, in the first century, if anyone shouted, Jesus is God, no one would object, because everyone knew that the Romans permitted you to worship whatever God you wanted. However, let the same man shout, Jesus is Lord, and he would be arrested and put to death. To proclaim the Lordship of Christ was to attack the supreme authority of Rome itself. Today, we live in a similar situation. 
where no one cares about your religion as long as you keep it to yourself. But if you dare stand up and say that certain things are right and others wrong, you can be regarded as an intolerant bigot or worse. In this day, as in the first century, no one gets into trouble for being religious. But if you speak out publicly, you risk losing everything. We only need to look at recent press reports of Christians who have been suspended from their jobs or even have lost their jobs because they have made a stand over something they feel is unchristian. Think about others who wanted to wear a cross around their neck or those dismissed by openly praying for a safety. When I became a Christian, I was working part-time at a petrol station. My boss was rather uncouth, even with my before-Christ language. I hadn't noticed before that virtually every word that came out of his mouth was Christ, Jesus, or oh my God. Over several weeks, my spirit grew within me. And I felt so angry and insulted until I could bear it no longer. I finally asked him not to take my Lord's name in vain. For a moment, he was quiet. And the face suddenly turned the color of his language. But I remember his ending words. If you feel this strongly, why don't you go and join a nunnery? For a young man, even a new Christian, it was a tempting thought. But let me say, as we study Acts, if we're here just to learn about more about being moved into action ourselves, then we've missed the point. If I was to summarize the importance of Acts, it can be done in three statements. Firstly, Acts tells us how the Christian movement came into its beginning. Acts has been called a transitional book because it serves as a bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. It is in the historical links that joins the life of Christ with the growth of the Christian church, and in doing so answers the question many first century observers would have asked. Where did this new movement come from? What Luke has given us is condensed history, not by any means complete, not all that we would like to know, but he includes every essential detail from the earliest days. This is apologetic, proving the truth of Christianity its best. Showing the reader then and now that the Christian faith is firmly rooted in the facts of history. Secondly, it shows how the church is to respond when living in predominantly a pagan society. For a moment, let me jump ahead saying how we should respond to our surrounding paganism. Initially, with a bold witness for our Lord Jesus, that is, we are to speak up and not be silent. You may never know. You may be asked to join a nunnery. And next, we must have visible love for each other. Like the song said, love one another. It was said of the early Christians, behold how they love 
one another. These two things, bold witness and visible love, have been the hallmark of the church in every age of persecution and hostility. They still hold true today. But what is sad is that these words are recorded against times of difficulty. Thirdly, Acts teaches us about the whole worldwide mission of the Christian church, and that we find that clearly mentioned in chapter 1. Most of us know it well. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Notice the phrase, to the ends of the earth, verse 8. For what started in Jerusalem will one day be taken to the farthest corners, farthest corners of the globe. That was Jesus' plan. But he always intended his followers to take his message, the good news, and go off in every direction. Jesus didn't want a Jewish church, a Greek church, a Roman church, or an English church. He wanted a church that would include people from every tribe and every nation. And his plan to accomplish this was very simple. It was by using spirit-filled Christians to take the message from one place to another, and from one person to another, sharing the gospel, winning the lost, discipling the saved, and passing the faith on. Let me, remind, let me remind you that his message is the same for us. That is our job today. It's not my job. For my, I am here to disciple the sheep. It is yours to lead the sheep to the shepherd. Nearly 2,000 years have come and gone since Jesus walked on planet Earth. Yet his work continues today through his people who make up his church. What he started long ago, we continue by the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me say this. I'm not suggesting that his work of redemption is not complete. But Jesus finished the work of salvation when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he meant what he said. He was saying that the incarnation had finished. The revelation of God's word is finished. The payment is finished. There is nothing we can add to it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me as white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What do I mean about the continuing work of Jesus? I'm not speaking of his work of salvation because he completed that on a hill called Golgotha. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus laid down the foundation in his early life. We are to build on it. Once the foundation is laid, you don't need to lay it again. You simply build on it. No one can ever replace Jesus or go beyond what he has done for us as Savior and Redeemer. But there is an aspect of work that continues to this very day. It is the working and spreading of the gospel, the good news. In the early 2000s, people were talking about the 29th chapter of Acts, which is really quite clever, because many of you will know there's only chapters up to 28. What do they mean? You and I are writing the 29th chapter every day by what we do. You've heard of Schubert's Unfinished Symphony. Well, Acts is the unfinished work of Jesus Christ. His work in the world is not finished yet. I know because the headlines today speak of immorality in the government. His work is not finished as babies starve. His work is not finished as parents abuse their children. His work is not finished as men kill, kill each other because of the color of their skin. His work is not finished as long as Satan rules the earth and sin reigns in the heart of humankind. Most of all, consider this. His work is not finished when over two billion people have yet to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. Think of that. Nearly 2,000 years, and over 2 billion men and women do not know who Jesus is. His work is not finished, and that is why we are here. Our work is not finished because his work is not finished. The first Christians took the message of Jesus and turned the pagan world upside down. Jesus has called us to join him in this great adventure of sharing the good news. Won't you offer your best, your all? For he has provided for, with all that we need, and we have the knowledge that he is working through us. But let us remember that things will get tough. But when things get tough, remember that Jesus is alive. Jesus lives forever. The story is told on the day Jesus ascended into heaven. He happened to see Gabriel and they had a talk. Gabriel asked, how did it go? Did they make you king? No. Did they make you prince? No. Did they worship you? Most of them didn't. But what happened? They crucified me. Then they worshipped you, right? No. So what happened? I left my people down there. Oh, so you got a couple of million followers? No. 
100,000? No. How many did you leave down there? 120. 120? 120, that's all. That's all. Are you going back to help them out? No, not now. Well, how are they going to make it? They will make it. Well, what if they fail? Do you have another plan? There is no other plan. What if they fail? I'm not worried, Gabriel. I know them. They're mine. They will not fail. They didn't fail. We are here today because they didn't fail 2,000 years ago. And what God provided for them, he has also provided for us. We have the same God, the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit, and the same gospel message. And we also have something they didn't have. We have the record of their faithfulness to encourage us in our work for the Lord. Now may God pour out his grace on us and make us strong. And may we experience a fresh anointing and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day. May God grant us this year of 2023 that we may take the gospel from Amesbury to the ends of the earth. Amen.